The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Welcome in here to the batting order beat. I am LJ LaFira. Alongside me, I've got Brandon Karam. We are a Belly Up Sports podcast. We are, of course, what they aren't. Brandon, how are you doing today? LJ, doing fantastic. Opening weekend has come and gone. We are, I want to say we're already like 2% of the way through the season. Um, that feels weird to say. Feels really weird to say that. Um, yeah, you know, if I'm doing good. Certainly watched a good amount of baseball this weekend. Wish I actually caught more of the Yankees. I, I didn't watch much of their games uh, on Saturday and Sunday. Saw I care about. Yeah, you know, it's it was weird. Just the the timing of their games compared to when I was like actually available to sit down and watch games. Like I saw the whole opening day game, but really not much of Saturday's game and practically nothing of yesterday's game. But um well yeah, at least you, know, you were in market for it all. I was in right, market for yes, all the of it. um in market, uh, but you know, it's it, it it's been a great weekend. Um of baseball nonetheless and excited to sit down and talk about it uh here lj i mean it was uh you know i've been seeing a lot of chatter online about the new rules overwhelmingly uh positive reviews um there is some people you know who just like to find stuff to complain about but other than that uh i mean you're i think the average game time is down to like two hours and like 40 something minutes, which is about 25 minutes faster than last year. Uh, and that too, again, I have a feeling will go down not only with time as people get, you know, more comfortable and used to the process, but also the pitching gets better as the season goes in. Like we're at a point in the season where some guys are going to really struggle to get outs. So once the game gets more efficient, it's going to go down too, which is great. Yeah, but, and like you figure teams will just be playing the players that are better because right now some teams they don't know if guys are really good or not. You're supposed to know your good players before you've seen them play. Right, exactly. So, you know, by come May or June, when you have a little bit of a sample size for these pitchers, it's like, okay, maybe we shouldn't be using this guy out of the bullpen, uh, you know, every other day. So, yeah, I, I agree. All right, well, that's a great segue into – our first segment here now up to bat opening weekend winners and losers brandon why don't you go ahead you can pick which way do we start do we start with the winners or the losers i'm gonna start with the winners and uh it's for i'm gonna do uh a couple of teams and a couple of players for each my team that's a winner all they did was win this weekend is the texas rangers uh you know they sweep the phillies and had a really impressive game last night on Sunday Night Baseball. Uh, you know, Bruce Bochy comes in there, LJ, and really, I think, has turned that culture around um, and is a positive, just such a positive hire for them. We were we, we both talked really highly of that move uh, when it happened right before the season ended last year. And look, I mean... Martin Perez pitched really good and 
really their only negative of the whole weekend was how Jacob DeGrom pitched, and they still end up winning that game. So Texas certainly uh, caught my eye in terms of just uh, team team dominance this weekend. I mean, their 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 offense in that in those first two games was outstanding. They currently lead the MLB with 29 runs scored. Uh, and you know, it's been really impressive to see what they've been doing. Absolutely. You know, moving over to another American league side here in terms of winners, another team that kind of early on has at least defied expectations here, the Tampa Bay race. They start the, their opening series, they sweep it. They have a 3-0 and record right now, but what's more impressive is the manner in which they did it. In those three games, averaging seven runs while only allowing one run on average through those games. That's 21-3, to a plus 18 run differential through opening weekend. We've seen teams blow out other sides. I believe it was two years ago that Oakland kind of had Houston's number early in the season, but I'm bought in. I was already bought in. This was my value pick going into the season for the AL East. I feel like this team has a lot more to show than people really thought people felt would meet the eye. Um, Zach Eflin looked exactly how we were all expecting Zach Eflin to look when you give him that kind of money. I still don't even understand the money that was given to him based on past performance. But then you go out and see him allow three hits over five innings. I mean – this guy's legit. Jeffrey Springs comes out of nowhere. And I know it's Detroit. Like, I, I'll give you that, you know, qualifier here. Yes, this is the Detroit Tigers we're talking about. But when you see a team so wholly and utterly outclass their opponent, that's a really good sign for the future. And, or at least minimum, the run that this team can get on going into Memorial Day. Jeffrey Springs, six innings of no-hit ball and 12 strikeouts. I mean, where did that come from? And one of two pitchers to exit uh, with a no-hit bid, uh, of course, Jack Flaherty on Saturday had one of the weirder no-hit bids going. He went five innings, no hits, but had walked seven batters up until that point. Uh, exited and then uh, they did give up a hit. But Tampa throws a two-hitter yesterday with 14 Ks. Uh, and I believe it is just Texas and Tampa. Those are the only two undefeated teams. Uh, Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota, that's right. Minnesota is is still undefeated as well. Um, forgot that they kind of uh, beat up on Kansas City all weekend. Uh, but, yeah, LJ, do you want to give some losers here? I would love to give a loser here. My loser is the Baltimore Orioles. Actually, more specifically, the all the people who heavily bought into the Baltimore Orioles already, which includes us to an extent, because this is a very talented team. They put together a good record, but let's also not, you know, let's think about the fact that this pitching has historically blown for a very long time, like really long time, <laughs> like more than just been bad. These guys have sucked. And yes, you bring in two, you know, solid names, people who've proven themselves in the past in Kyle Gibson and Cole Irvin, but that bullpen doesn't, did not look nearly as good as it did last year. 
in that opening series. The rotation really struggled here. Their best ERA coming out of this, and the only guy to make it five innings was Kyle Gibson. And I believe he had, what, four earned, three earned? Yeah, um, it wasn't the greatest. It wasn't start, a good start. It was not a good start by any means. And so I'm just – I sit here wondering – what could possibly be the ceiling for this team with such a bad situation? I mean, yes, you were able to get wins, and this offense looked really good going into the year, but they're not going to be able to rely on that all year long. When you have your ace in Kyle Gibson giving four earned five innings and that being the highlight of your week, that's going to be a problem for this team. And it's going to continue to be a problem because this group just does not know how to teach or coach pitching from a system from a system standpoint. So if you're not able to get the system right, you're never going to be able to get successful. I'm the, gonna, the only hope they have is John Means coming back and being like gangbusters because he's been the only one who's actually been able to fit what they tried to do really well. They have not found another system guy in basically the entire time they've been doing this. For my loser, I'm going to take Seattle, uh, more importantly, the Seattle offense. So they drop three of four to the Guardians. And, I mean, wow, some of these offensive stats for the Mariners are quite shocking. Uh, You're talking a slash line as a team of 197, 254, 318, Uh, you know, they only managed 12 runs in four games. And you're looking at a team that I believe it's second lowest walk rate after this weekend or, for, or third, lo- fourth lowest walk rate. Somehow the Diamondbacks only had a 0.8% walk rate for the entire weekend. I, I, I don't know how that's possible. Um, but yeah, 5.6% walk rate to a 24.6% strikeout rate as a team for Seattle. 59 weighted runs created plus uh, not a good showing from them, especially opening up your season at home after such a good performance in the playoffs last year. It's I was a little surprised to see them come out so flat and their one win came off of a tie France oppo taco home run off James Karen in like the, in the, I think it was the bottom of the eighth inning Uh on opening day in, in, in what was a zero zero game. They had done nothing up until that point. And you get a wall scraper oppo taco home run and you're able to close it out like that. But they really couldn't get much going the whole weekend. And uh I don't want to say cause for concern yet, but for an offense that you know I thought and LJ and I both really liked, I picked them to get to the World Series, you know. With with the likes of you know adding Teoscar Hernandez and Tommy Listella, Colton Wong, guys that you know you you would think uh, would help out this this offense, uh, certainly not looking the best uh, after their first four games. All right, and just for fairness' sake, I think we went with four for four of the American League teams. I will give a loser National League. Um, Philly's got nothing going other than off to Grom, which is a guy they've seen a lot over the years and did not put his best stuff forward. So that's 
cause for concern as well. They desperately need Bryce Harper to get back into this lineup. But now up to bat with Gary Sanchez signing a minor league deal with the San Francisco Giants. Joey Bart also goes to the IL right now as an interesting move, completely unrelated, but kind of continue to weld this narrative. Does Gary Sanchez's tenure in San Francisco end the Joey Bart era? Obviously, this is a guy that San Francisco, both the organization and the fans, were very high on. They were very excited about because he was supposed to be the heir to Buster Posey. He was supposed to be that next guy. And he has now had at least three, maybe four attempts to break in and secure himself as the starter. And he has not been able to do that with guys passing him that have been within their system and within that team already. Now they're bringing in more outside help, a proven veteran who, yes, is on a minor league deal. But I honestly have to feel is more a matter of get him up to speed because he only got the four games in the World Baseball Classic, hasn't been in a spring training camp. So if he had signed this minor league deal with the Giants in February, I have a feeling he's already on this roster. So, Brandon, I'll leave it up to you, but it feels like a resounding yes, the Joey Bart opportunity is gone because you're bringing in a guy in his prime who easily is a better producer. I'm not going to say he's a perfect guy. I, I I can't stand the way the guy plays, but he's certainly a more proven and capable producer than Bart has proven to be so far. If they do this right, they're going to have him for a couple more years. That makes Bart cooked in my eyes. Yeah, the I wouldn't say it's totally done with Joey Bart, but the window is closing quickly. Um, you know, he's he's already 26 years old, which was surprising to me. Uh, you know, he was second overall pick in the 2018 draft. And I just, you know, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt because he hasn't even played 162 games yet in the majors. Uh, and, you know, most of those games, 97 of the 133 that he has played came last year. And it was pretty rough last year. Uh, what you have here is a catcher who is extremely uh, just, I don't even want to call it three true outcomes because he doesn't walk a lot. Uh, it's really just two easy outcomes. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of strikeouts and, you know, 11 homers and 291 plate appearances is really not, it's nothing crazy to, to look at. Um, I don't know where they go from here. You're right. Joey Bart has hit the IL. And as of right now, the Giants only have one catcher on their active roster, that being Roberto Perez. You would have to assume that Gary Sanchez is going to get called up, right? Like there's there's really no reason. They also have Austin Wins in AAA, it looks like, and a few other guys. But if you signed Gary Sanchez, I don't think it hurts to call him up and make him the backup catcher for at least a little bit if you were – willing to sign him um yeah you know not not good for for uh, Joey Bart who was kind of seen as the heir to to a Buster Posey's throne and was like you know this guy we're gonna 
have uh, Posey. Because if I remember right, Posey didn't play in the 2020 season. Um, it was Bart. And that opened it up for, for, for Bart to get a lot of the time there. And Bart didn't really produce, but it was kind of like, oh, he's young, you know. Uh, it's the pandemic season. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, and then, of course, Posey comes back in 2021, makes the all-star game, wins the silver slugger in his last year, had an excellent final year. So then last year, I was like, all right, here's Joey Bart's like first real chance. And he certainly didn't perform to expectations. Uh, LJ, are we willing? You know, we kind of saw this at the start of last year with a guy like Joe Adele. Are we saying that Joey Bart has entered like the Joe Adele uh, territory? I mean, I guess it's just, I feel, I feel like they're very different situations just because in my eyes, Joe Adele never had the actual skills. Like he needed to create the skills to be able to get that spot. Joey Bart feels like he has them and just has not executed on that. And that's what makes this the most disappointing. You get that golden opportunity in 2020, you whiff on it. That's okay because, again, you're young, and this was them bringing you up way above ahead of schedule because they needed somebody. They're like, hey, let's give you a shot. This year might be a wash anyway. And so all of a sudden you get this brand-new opportunity to get in there and even just as the backup, get some time, get some a chance to prove that you're the right guy, and you don't execute on the second chance, this is the most pressure-free second chance you're going to get. And he hasn't capitalized on it. As far as I'm concerned, in order to make this work in San Francisco for Joey Bart, he was going to need a strong start to this spring. That's now out the window with the IL stint. So this feels like the end of things to me. Brandon, are you ready to move on to this next con- next uh, contract? I meant segment, but of course that does give it away if the on-deck segment doesn't already give it away. But now up to bat, will Jake Cronenworth earn his seven-year $80 million extension? Brandon, we'll start with you. Absolutely, yes. Uh, you know, the contract doesn't start until next year, and – I've been a big fan of Jake Cronenworth for a few years now. I love the way that he plays. Uh, you know, it's surprising when you, when you look and it's like, wow, he's 29 years old. But you're talking about a guy who has only played like about like 368 games in the MLB and is coming off back-to-back four war seasons, according to baseball reference. And – kind of just slots in everywhere on defense and is good. Uh, Like big Ben Zobris vibes. I mean, last year he played a lot of second base. um, And now this year he's only been playing first base. And I think it's a really smart deal for the Padres uh, to lock him up like this because yeah, sure. He's 29, but if, if when he would hit the open market, presumably at age like 33 or whatever that would be, 34, I guess, he'd be getting more than 80 million, especially with the luxury tax going up the next few years. I think that uh 
it's smart for the Padres to lock up a guy like him just so you have a little stability. And when you talk about teams with stability, it is the Padres with the amount of long-term contracts that they already have. They see their team. They see that they made the NLCS last year. They know that they're good enough to get back there, especially with adding Xander Bogarts. Uh, and once Fernando Tatis gets back as well, uh, you know, I really think that this is AJ Preller going out there and saying, you know, look, this is a guy who's been proven capable of playing multiple positions uh, and just plays the game right. Back-to-back all-star game appearances. Why not reward him? Uh, with $80 million over seven years, which if he keeps playing at this kind of level is going to be an absolute steal. Absolutely. And I'm going to agree with that hundred percent. He earns this contract because I don't think it's that hard for a guy like him to earn effectively. What is it? 12 million a year? Yeah. It's not that, um, much. it's not that much to begin with. Yes. You're buying out our beers, but still, this is a guy who's going to be able to play everywhere. Even if his numbers were to regress here, we're talking about a career 117 OPS plus hitter. He honestly, I, I expect him to improve, but even if he regressed a little bit and was about a league average hitter, he is a good defender at a variety of different spots. He's going to find ways into a lineup. And frankly, I'm surprised he's played every infield position. He hasn't seen the outfield yet. And that frankly shocks me in his career that you haven't stuck him out in left field for at least a little bit, because we all, we we all know he could do it. And so at the end of the day, you have him for the next seven years. If your team changes drastically, or you see the opportunity to go out and get real firepower or more firepower at first base than Jake Cronenworth can provide, because obviously, you know, what we're looking at here, theoretically, he should be locked into first base for the foreseeable future, whether that's move Xander Bogarts over to second for Tatis at short has been a lot of the topic of late, or if you leave things the same and keep Ha-Sung Kim in this lineup. I think Tatis is going to be an outfielder only. It, it seems like with, 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 with what they were doing in spring training, it seems like that they really want him in the outfield. I do too, but I wouldn't be shocked if a year or so down the line, um, especially depending on what happens this year with a guy like Kassian Kim offensively, the bigger concern becomes Juan Soto in left field. Mm-hmm. Like that's not a very athletic guy. And I saw the case made that maybe – a, actually, I believe it was Roy from Padre, or Friars on the Farm said maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to have a more athletic shortstop in front of him to mask some of those deficiencies. But at the end of the day, I'd be happy with either one. Either way, we're talking about Jake Cronenworth as the first baseman for the foreseeable future for this team. If they added more firepower, not only could he just slot around to a super utility spot and give a bunch of guys rest because if they added another spot – they're going to have so much depth that they can sit everybody pretty regularly and just keep everybody relatively rested. But he could also slot into an outfield spot perfectly fine. So if you replaced his position, he's going to find another way to work himself into that lineup very easily. There's going to be no waste. This isn't going to be a um, very different situations, but it's not going to be like a um, having an Isaiah Kiner-Falefa on your lineup just because he's being paid 
six million. That was the first name that came up. I wasn't trying to pick on the Yankees there. It's Greatest center fielder in Yankees history. Like he's gonna he's going to be able to find value and fill value. You're not gonna just be keeping him because he's being paid twelve million. Now up to bat. Let's talk about this Justin Verlander IL stint. He goes, this gets dumped on opening day, which honestly is the smartest PR move that you could have made if you're the Mets. It got but, dumped on us during the live stream. <laughs> I'll leave you with this question, Brandon. Is Justin Verlander's contract already a bust? No. No. Would you, would you like to? LJ was defending us? this man for the entire time he was hurt with Tommy John surgery and was like, yeah, just, just, just wait, he'll come back and be fine. And then of course he wins the Cy Young last year. No, of course not. Do you think Steve Cohen cares? Like that's, that's, that's the thing. Steve Cohen genuinely does not care how much money he burns. As long as the Mets win a world series within the next like five to 10 years, like he, he, he doesn't care. Yeah, but and this is all about rating the business moves. Yeah, know? no, absolutely. As a business move, like, look, yeah, you gave uh, a, a two-year, like, what is it, $86 million contract. With a vesting option. Yeah. With right. a vesting option for to a 40-year-old. Like, yeah, from an optic standpoint, it's not the greatest. But we haven't even seen him pitch yet. He said in the interview – that he gave like after he went on the IL that he'll be back. That's like calling, and it, I know it's not really a similar, but that's like calling the uh, Carlos Rodon contract a bust um, already. And it's just because like, yeah, look, they're not there at the start of the year. Justin Verlander could easily start it's like 28 games this year. And we're not even talking about this. So no, I don't think it's a bust. We got to at least let him go out there and pitch, which from the sounds of it will be fairly shortly. It's not a, it's not a uh, very uh, bad injury and it's Justin Verlander. I mean, come on. We already know he's going to go out there and shop. I'm, I'm going to lean the opposite way here towards the fact that it is, you know, a bust of a contract and that doesn't change anything about the way I feel about Justin Verlander one of my favorite players I've ever gotten to watch play. And, you know, he 100% probably will be back and just as good as ever when he comes back from this. But at the end of the day, we're talking about a lot of money here. We're talking about $80 million over multiple years. And who knows how long a guy's body is going to be able to hold up in terms of keeping up with performance. For all we know, I'm just – I've taken to the point now that after, especially after seeing last year – I'm just going to enjoy and appreciate Justin Verlander until it goes away. I'm not going to try to predict how long he's going to be able to stay out there. But my big issue here, my big worry, and why it very well could be a bust at this point is the fact that you look at at Justin Verlander, here's a guy in his 40s. It's a lot harder to recover when you're in your 40s, especially muscles type stuff. And so it's not going to be a long, long recovery, but it could be longer than we expected it to. I could see a world where he does not start until May. And then all of a sudden there's a month out of the season, you know, you needed because you know how good he is right now. You know how good he was last year. And so all of a sudden he misses 
a month, that's a month where he could have had five starts that could have been absolutely great and added value. Every month, every start you lose this year counts double or triple towards his long-term contract value because you need to earn that money basically within the first year and a half that you're on a contract. That's the way I've always seen it with these older guys. You have to earn it in that first like quarter or third of the contract value. And so he has a year to earn that $80 million and he's already losing time on that. And who knows how quickly he's able to get back on track from that. That's a real scare towards it being a bust in my eyes. Now, LJ, I have a question because I'm looking at the Mets rotation right now and I see five pretty good starters or at least a starters that I would, that I've seen, you know, be able to put up good numbers and they have two better starters in that in Jose Quintana, <clears throat> excuse me, and Justin Verlander currently on the IL. So when they both come back, you know, who are you taking out of this rotation? I think that the two locks are Max Scherzer and Kodai Senga. Um, but then between David Peterson, <clears throat> sorry, my God, my, my throat, um, David Peterson, Tyler Miguel, and Carlos Carrasco, you know, who – who gets the short end of the stick here? Because you didn't go out and sign Jose Quintana to not make him a starter. And also Tyler McGill and David Peterson are two of your younger, actually, you know, hoping that they turn into something and they are pretty good. Uh, you know, where, where do you go from here? Do you just kick Carlos Carrasco to the curb and just say, Hey, look, you know, we appreciate what you've done, but we're going to have to make you the long guy out of the bullpen. Um, it's tough. It's tough to me. You know, the bullpen idea is an option. I don't see it as a likely option. The consideration here is what's going to matter to you down the stretch, depth or quality, because I feel like you have enough quality here that you could end up moving on from somebody if you're not worried about the depth long-term you want to be more focused on a David Peterson, Tyler Miguel type situation. That should be part of your focus. And so when you're talking about replacing those two guys, I certainly wouldn't ever want to move on from them. I'd want to move on from a Carlos Carrasco. But when you're looking at a 38-year-old Max Scherzer, a 48, a 40-year-old Justin Verlander, even though Carrasco is 36 and could be just as susceptible to injury as anyone else, and especially more so towards the side of a Scherzer or a Verlander being susceptible to injury. I don't want to give up that stability. I don't want to give up being seven deep when I have those options. And so at the end of the day, I might, I, I might rather just take the worst of a Peterson and a Miguel and then figure it out and then figure out how to work them in, in the coming years or later on in the season with some, um, call-ups and send-downs because with that too, you have the flexibility. I wouldn't be shock shocked, honestly, to see a world where, you know, maybe you do move Carlos Carrasco to a bullpen or you trade him, but that fifth spot in the rotation effectively or that that final spot uh, w- would be a rotation of Peterson and Miguel. They both have option years. Why put the innings on their arms? Especially when you have two guys that are pinching so well right now. I would love to see that once everybody gets healthy, where you're kind of, 
you know, Brandon, Brandon hates the idea of sending guys up and down like crazy, but if you can do it, why wouldn't you? And so that's something I'd like to see them explore. They've got options here. They don't have a lot of standard out options past those top two, but they've got the depth for a back end to be able to play and make some interesting stuff here. Now up to bat. Stolen bases were up big time this week. I believe opening day, 21 stolen bases, a 94% success rate. Those those are the best numbers since 1907. Brandon, did we get the stolen bases wrong this year? What were we thinking? Brandon, you are muted. Get yourself together, man. Um, uh, yeah, in shambles over here. Um, He's no, we struck by stolen bases. Yeah, no, we didn't get it wrong. Stolen bases are fantastic. I mean, who's actually mad that that these guys are stealing so many bases? Oh no, no, I mean our analysis. Did we get our analysis wrong on this? Our analysis being like that that we thought uh, there. The- Honestly, here's my thoughts thought process. We got it wrong because we weren't in enough. We did not commit enough to the stolen base. We I, so I'm, you're saying we underestimated the amount of stolen bases. I think I, I personally grossly I was all in on this. This is gonna make a drastic change to the game. Remember last week on our live, if you haven't seen it, go ahead and check it out on YouTube and on Twitter. We also have our interview with Matt Arcara from the Batflip podcast on YouTube as well. I took my MVP pick in the national league based on who I thought was going to have more stolen bases on a better team, because I know that those guys with this, these rules are going to be able to control games, but in command games. But at the same time, I feel like I even underestimated the stolen base situation right now, because here we are 21, the most since 1907 at a 94% success rate. Stolen bases are about to take over the league. That's going to be so much fun for us, but, I feel like we've looked at it wrong. Like we undervalued the stolen base, the stolen base guy, and more so the catcher. I feel silly saying maybe we, I'm fine with letting a guy like Christian Vasquez go to Minnesota for that contract because I wouldn't have wanted to pay that to bring him back after trading him. No, I, I, I'm firmly on the opposite side of where I was a week ago because good defensive catchers are going to be more important than ever. Now being able to get that slight difference is going to be more important than ever. The guys that are able to steal bags are going to definitively control the game. I went a little wishy-washy into it. I leaned into it a bit. I should have dove head first. And LJ, you're right. And I like the pun there diving head first. Uh, very, very nice. Um, I mean, look, I just looked it up on Fangraphs. They have it awesome. You can do like a custom date range on their on their website to figure out stuff like this. The first weekend of the season last year, there were 29 total stolen bases. That's the Thursday through the Sunday. This year, Thursday through Sunday, there were 70. That is 2.4 times more stolen bases in the same like first four days of the season. And not only that, I don't like, yes, 
and I don't have any stats to back this up. I should have looked at that also, but just BS. Nobody needs real stats. Here's here's my BS take that may or that could very well be wrong. Stolen bases are up. Stolen bases are up. And I know like with no shift and all that, but for everyone that was saying it was going to like crazy inflate the offensive stats, I really don't think that that's happened, LJ. I don't think that, you know, I've seen really good pitching performances from all around the league so far. I just think guys are getting on base and the pitchers, they don't have time to stand there and worry about the who, who's on base. They have to worry about more on the batter. The pickoff rules, of course, come into effect. The, the bigger bases come into effect. Uh, I think that the teams are stealing more bases, uh, and it's making the game more exciting, but it's not making it so the games are getting out of control with the scoring is, is my take. Which No, that's, well that's fair. Because, you know, I do think the scoring scoring is up both both because guys are getting more hits and there's more runners in scoring position because of this. But it's not an obscene amount. It's not enough to make it unenjoyable. Like, the baseball is still enjoyable with it, if not more enjoyable. And that's because there is this trade-off exactly as um, I've gathered you're saying here between the fact that the pitch clock makes it so the pitcher can't worry about it. The pitcher is also are the most helped by the pitch clock because sure you, you know, don't get the same rest time, but you look at like Garrett Cole start. Yeah, he, no, he can't he get was, in his head anymore. He, he can't. was moving because he got a couple good pitches in and all of a sudden it started to snowball because out of control for the other team, because he just was rolling, throwing great pitch after great pitch and not having time to focus too much on it and harp on it. And so that made it great. And then at the same time, look at it over at Ronald Acuna. Acuna here, only one stolen base, mind you, has only gotten on a 33% clip. You you expect Ronald Acuna to be somewhere up towards 400 on base this year. So those numbers are about to spike. As a leadoff hitter, he should get more opportunities too to get on like that. What he's doing out there, he's taking massive leads with no intention of actually going on those first couple pitches. He's goading these pitchers into get using up their two pickoff attempts and then he's going on first con- on first motion. And so it, it it's just going to make a crazy amazing product especially with these fast fast guys who are willing to take a gamble like that that says basically his gamble with running on first motion is odds are you're not going to use your third pickoff attempt. If you do, the odds of you being able to throw over to first and then have the first baseman make get the ball to second before I can get to second, I'm willing to take that chance. That's what he's saying out there. And that's making the game even better and allowing this. You're allowing stars to have more control over the game with this. That's what's so cool. But Brandon, do you have any other thoughts before we wrap up? I got one last thing uh, on that point, and then we can wrap up. I looked at and I noticed this from uh, looking at box scores of the Yankee games over the weekend. So uh, Glaber Torres has already stolen two bases this year. Last year, he only had 10 the whole year and is a 40th percentile sprint speed guy. He's not even in the top half of like the fastest players in the league. And even he thinks that it's in his advantage to be going out there and trying to steal bases. That is the whole point of the rule. It's that, 
look, these guys who aren't that quick, it's like, yeah, but if I can just get to second and get myself into scoring position for my team, you know, that's that's what's exciting about it. Is you're going to see guys that we're not used to seeing running. They're going to be really eager to try to get into scoring position now, and it's going to make it so much more exciting. Absolutely. Well, that's going to wrap things up here on the batting order beat. Our next episode will be Wednesday, April 5th with a live show at 915 on Thursday. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you later.